Hello there. Welcome to this uh, edition of Making Things Better and Making Better Things. Um, it's been a really interesting month, actually. I've had one of those really rare months where I've been travelling shitloads, and that's not normal for me. I'm normally up and down the, the train tracks to London, but not really overseas, and I've managed to do Beirut, India, and Atlanta. Oh, and Vienna in one in one month, and that kind of brings with it some some questions, really, because clearly air travel's not great. But I I always just I always think of it. You know, am I am I doing more good by going than than by flying? If you know what I mean, is the is the impact of what what I'm doing worth it? And for all of those things, it was. But it is a really really tricky one. But when you look at the whole of your life in balance then um that's the way to do it you can't really isolate your travel impact it's you know what you eat what you do it's that kind of like whole balance of of impact and i'm pretty cool with that well anyway it's been a crazy month uh, really delighted to be back um, back and i was back in london on tuesday and this podcast um it's a really interesting one i think um, I, I live in Leicestershire, edge of Leicestershire and Warwickshire, and I um, work mainly in London. And, and after maybe a year of, of working out of coffee bars between client meetings, and I just thought I need to join a club. And the only experience I'd ever had of a club was at the Groucho, which is a great club. Uh, and I, call, I knew the Groucho back in the late 90s when it was probably at its wildest, but it, it, it just didn't, it felt too hedonistic for me. And... I wanted something a bit more sort of worthy. And a good friend of mine um, pointed me in the direction of the, the House of St Barnabas, which is a charity members club just on Soho Square, number one, Greek Street. And its history, uh, we'll, we'll find out, out about in a minute. But, but it, its kind of purpose fits mine. And it's beautiful. And it's so light. It's on a corner spot. So when you use some of the rooms, you've got so much light tumbling in. And then it just, it it fills the room. It's absolutely stunning. Um, So I joined. And obviously, it's not just a members club. It's way, way more than that. And so I wanted to record um, a a podcast with... um, Sandra Shembra, who, who runs it, who is the, the chief executive, and she's been super mega busy, um, and so I've been waiting for what seems like uh, nearly a year. It probably is, actually, nearly a year. And I finally um, got some time to record this one with her uh, last week. So hopefully um, you'll enjoy it. It's about more than you know talking about a members club. It's, a, it's about purpose. It's about what makes us kind of care really um and it it was a lovely really lovely podcast so listen up enjoy and uh let me know what you think thank you so we're sat uh i'm sat in the house of st barnabas which is this is going to sound so soho it's my members club in in greek street um but it's a really lovely members club please don't think smoking jackets cocaine and dreadful media types it's the exact opposite to that um and i'm not saying all of those things are bad but um the house of st barnabas is a charity it's a members club 
it's a program of education and and kind of employability for people who fall on hard times and it's my favorite place to be um, in Soho you could be in the middle of the countryside when you're sat in the garden at the back here and I'm sat with um, one of my favorite human beings um, Sandra Shembury. Um Sandra welcome thank you very much and tell me about the house that's in Barnabas so the house has um, been part of Soho's history since about the 1600s but it's only really taken the shape it is um, today in the 1840s so if you walk across Soho Square you'll actually see a strap line over our house saying house of charity and all broken tiles which are upside down I've no idea why some of the tiles are upside down we've tried to find out we've got some, it's like some bad workmanship said, oh, I just put the Y upside down it makes no sense um, and that that really is the core of what the house is about. And um, in 1840, charity equaled love. That, that was how it was um, seen. So when you talked about charity and being charitable, it was actually a societal way of saying, I'm going to offer my love, I'm going to be loving to someone. That's what charity was about. So really, you could put House of Love, which would probably be in Soho, probably not the right thing to put on it now. They were a great band, the House of Love. <laughs> do, you, do you remember the House of Love? Do you know what? That, <coughs> thank you. I, that's a gift. That's a, that's a pearl <laughs> because I've often thought. I mean, charity gets a bad name. A charity exactly. is like you know the charity fundraiser on one side, and and then being choked on the street by yeah. cha- and and, it, and it's like a guilt thing. Whereas love, love's not a guilt thing. Love's a celebration, and and. And faith, hope, and charity makes way more sense when you say faith, hope, and love. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we need this story. <laughs> this, I've got goosebumps. This story. Um, we need to make a really big thing of this on the website. But no one wants to. So, so a friend of mine who runs the Centre for Mental Health. We were having this big kind of after having a very professional conversation. We then ended up getting into this almost ranting epiphany worth of conversation about the language of love in today's society it's frowned upon it's you can't talk about it you can't it's seen as airy fairy myself included if you'd talked to me about love 20 years ago i was a professional and i was trying to be in leadership and i was trying to get a job don't talk about love talk to me about kpis and you realize it's all about people and the more you can engage with another human being as a human being the better work you will do but only really at 40 did I get that. And the last three years have really been me unpicking myself to put myself back together again to go, oh, this is a better way of doing it, isn't it? So, so the house and I have kind of been growing up together. Yeah, so it's I been a that. very fascinating journey for me as well as the, the organisation. Welcome to your midlife crisis. I've been there. <laughs> I've gone from hippie <coughs> to corporate slave to corporate rebel to hippie again. And my new talk is called Kindness is a Competitive Advantage. And I talk about love. And, I talk, and it's really interesting. There are two types of people who are... I mean, it's, very, it's, very, it's much easier to have these conversations now than it was 10 years yes. ago, for certain. Because that whole apprentice model of business of you're fired, you fucking muppet, all of that. Not that was a really shit Alan Sugar impression, but you knew... I got it, I got it. Here. I'm there. That kind of way of doing things is dying with the people that, that did them. And the new way of doing things is, is, more, is more inclusive and mm. it's, it's more diverse. And we all know that diversity equals strength. And I can have these conversations now, and I couldn't have them 
10 years ago and that's why I think you should tell the story now because I think it's time. But I've but I so I over the last 18 months um, have gone from I, I was not just command and control I was command and conquer it was it will be my way or no way and I got stuff done so I was known as that go-getter so when I first joined the project I was let's do it so this is why things moved because things weren't moving and what I've realized over the last three years is I just mentioned to you I was listening to um, uh, this guy Jocko talking about command and control and me realizing well that's just terrible and I realized I didn't get what actual command and control is about it's about um, uh, empowering others through teams to get the work done and I was like so I've been living my judgy ideas about what the military do and I was realized there's things I can learn from there that I never yeah. thought possible before I just assumed it was well it's bad because of what they do and how they do it but actually that core, that tribe, that understanding, there is love in that. You hear them talk about each other and their tribes, and it's love they do it for. It's each other they do it for. Exactly, and th this is fascinating, massively rich vein of discussion. Mm. Um, I love these, because I don't plan anything, and we, just, we could go anywhere. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about love. But let's, but let's talk about love, because, because when you're in the military, you're part of a unit, but you're also on your own. It's, 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 it's responsibility is here with power comes responsibility, but the brotherhood, the sisterhood that comes with that, yeah. is not there when you join the army, but the or, or the or the military. Whatever but, services, but they but, yeah. but they but they break you down and they build you up and they build you up with that embedded. And I always when I, when you see ex-service men and women struggling, I wonder if it's because. Not because they have, they don't know what to do. They do, but the family is gone. Uh, that unit's gone. So, I I watched this happen in a very personal way. That um, someone I knew didn't have family, didn't understand family the same way I understand family. And um, my family is, I now realise, is everything. They, um, a friend of mine said, Jesus Christ, Sandra, your family walk in the room with you, even if they're not there. You know, they are, they are absolutely a part of my being. Um, and um, this person um, I knew really well hadn't experienced that. Very good friend of mine. Um, so they would dip into it, but then go, up, then 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 leave. They then joined uh, the police force. It was transformational for this individual because they really? found their tribe. They found this family that they hadn't found in else. And all they talk about is the job, the, um, the police, each other, the banter, the da da da. And I'm saying to them, you've found a family. And they're like, no, no, don't be so ridiculous, don't be so silly. I was like, you, you've discovered what I have with my actual family. You've discovered it in a group of people that you're sharing experiences with. That's powerful. Yeah, is. Which is why when you then, I've got friends who are uh, literally about to retire from the police, and they're nervous, not from the retiring aspect, they're like, great, I've done my job. It's more the, once you're out, you're out. That's, that sense of community is yeah. gone. And that's quite jarring. So you have to, like, they, they now, um, if you're in high enough in the forces, they now help you exit correctly so that you don't just exit on your own. Things but, I was learning. But, it, but this is fascinating. And, and it's a really, in one way, it's a, cel it's a celebration of how we create artificial family. Artific they're not artificial. They're, they're real. Different um, diversity we, of family. How we, how we create these structures. <laughs> But, but secondly, when you leave one that is so well defined and that you are so comfortable with, that there isn't another one out there. And I, I walk through Soho, as I walk through downtown Atlanta, as I walk through San Francisco, and I'm struck by homelessness. Mm. And I always think and say that it's, it's, the, it's a wrong or a right decision 
that's the difference between me and them. And if I'd taken the wrong decision, I could have lost everything. And yeah. and if they'd made a different decision, and I'm not saying that I'm better or, or anything than mm. them, I'm just saying my circumstances would be the, the very same. Some of the most articulate people I've ever met have been on the street. Um, I met a guy actually in Atlanta about six months ago. I'd been for a really lovely meal and I'd seen this building that was a bit run down mm. and ramshackle. And I, wa- I, wa- I walked up to it. It's dark and it was like 10.30 at night. It, wasn't, it didn't feel dangerous. I never felt threatened in any of these cities. Um, but I walked up to it and, um, and I'm looking through the window and it's closed and this homeless guy sat, sat in the doorway. And he said, you know what this used to be? I said, no. He said, it used to be Gladys Knight's son's restaurant. Wow. And he told me the story. Yeah. It's a really sad story, actually. She was, she was taken for a ride by her own kid, it, it seems, right? But it was the most amazing, articulate conversation. And I was there for like 30 minutes. And I gave him $20 because th- that was worth the entertainment right. that I had. But his set of circumstances that, la- that led him there were a white-collar set of circumstances and this is a city that's pretty good in terms of um kind of like uh, racial fairness there's a lot of very rich people of both races both colors okay. and a lot of very poor people of both colors but but there, i think there are probably more poor, more, more people on the street who are black if, I, if i'm honest but his story was was universal his story was one of uh, just making the wrong decision yep. and and losing everything and i'm always struck by this now the reason i talk about this is number one when you fall out of society's net, which has got really big holes in it, you lose family. You yeah. lose that, that sense of community. So that's that's interesting. We'll talk about that in a minute. And, and and maybe it's a really lovely segue into what the House of Charity does now, how mm. it layers its love now. So the the house went through a massive transition in uh, 2005. It was a hostel up until then, um, which uh, was quite pioneering in the 1840s to say that regardless of class, colour or creed, come to our door, if you need our help, we'll help you. And the way they defined help um, in the 1840s was there was homelessness in Soho even then. So in 2005 there was a fire, the charity had to redefine itself. Um, what do they say about necessity being the mother of all invention? Yeah, yeah. Very much so, wouldn't have done it otherwise. And um, how we translated uh, supporting people today is we help people um, to break their cycle of homelessness through work. So work is one of the final pieces of the puzzle to enable someone to move into um, accommodation, which is um, good accommodation, fair accommodation in a decent area where they can build a community and afford to do that and then progress through work. So they've got a stable base. Home isn't just the, the roof. It's so much more than that. We know that. So what the house does is it supports people um, on their journey through work experience, personal development training, um, that's for a 12-week program, but really it's the 12 to 18 months that follow that, which is where the real transformational change happens because we support them into work, they have a mentor, we work with employer partners to help that individual on that journey because really once they get the job, you almost reset to zero and go, now you need a different set of help, so we're gonna help you with that as well. For some people, for 10 years, they haven't looked at a contract. They've got no idea what confidentiality is, GDPR. They're thinking, I don't know what I'm signing here. And what's zero hours against fixed term, against permanent? So there's a whole host of re-education there, which when you're 22, you'd call your dad and go, Dad, do us a favor, what does this mean? 
these people don't have that person to call. So the idea is to try slowly but surely to build a community within those groups that they can then rely on and they feel like, you know what, I got this now, thanks very much, your support was brilliant. But the door's always open so they can come back to us as and when they need it. So that tapering support hmm. is super important. I'll always remember having kids and like getting all the stuff beforehand about <laughs> how you have a baby and no one explains that how painful it is going to be, but yep. it's amazing as well. Yep. And then you're left with this thing. No one's told me about the next bit. So nope. I've birthed it. Mm. I've come through the program. Yep. I've graduated. Yep. Now, now what? And I mean, I'm a mentor on, on, on the program and the, the, the impact that you have is absolutely huge but one of the things that I, I didn't realize about the program is you can't get on it unless you've got a home you can't be homeless and on the ah, program, no you? no you can so 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 homelessness is a um, there's a statutory definition of homelessness yeah. and um, if you were to draw a uh, um, if you think of Mount Everest rough sleeping is the absolute snow-capped peak of Everest yeah. homelessness is all that rock underneath right. it. So that is people who are sofa surfing, people who are in unfit, un insecure accommodation, uh, people who um, are in overcrowded accommodation, therefore they're not in a fit home for their circumstance. People who are in hostels are technically homeless because they, they're, they're in of between. Course. Yeah, of course. So just because you have a bed to sleep in doesn't mean you are not homeless. Okay, that's brilliant. Okay, yeah. I didn't realise that. And, and and to get on the programme, you need to have, have a bed to sleep in. Yes. Like, rather than be on the streets. Because um, uh, homelessness is like, I, I, I sometimes describe it as this ball of wool that a kitten's got at. So the beginning, it's just this gnarly mess, and you're thinking, how do you unpick this, this fluffy, knotty mess? And over time, you start to slowly, oh, well, this strand goes here, and this, oh, okay, so, so that's what it looks like now. Okay, so then you start to, to thread these things out. And um, the house works in not the chaotic stage. People have started to stabilise, so they've got their health at a stage where actually they could work. There's no point trying to get someone into work if their health is shot, yeah, because sure. they're not going to be able to keep the job. So the idea is, um, actually, if people have got serious mental health concerns, we've got to get those addressed. So there's a whole host of first aid work to do before someone can actually even think about, you know what, I might be ready to get back into the workplace and hold a job down. And that work's done through loads of partners and agencies. We don't do all of ourselves. We play a very small part. And what we realised is, is actually the part we can play is the once someone has ready, once they've turned their own switch of, I think I'm ready to get into work now. Yeah. Even though they may have some health concerns, but they've made that choice, we'll work with you. So then we do the, okay, so train you into work, get you into work, help you keep work, help you progress. It's that lasting progression into work. Because there's no point trying to push a car with a handbrake on it's got to be off. No point. We don't do the work. All we do is supply um, the environment. People you come. do more than that. But 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 we we cannot, as you say, you cannot make the horse move. No, I, I, I know that, but I see the difference. I see it firsthand. And I could join any club in Soho, even the ones with the long waiting list. Because um, it's not what you know, Sandra. <laughs> it's who you know. Oh, somebody tells me you know a few people. I, I do now. And, um, and some of them are cheaper, marginally. Yep. And most of them aren't. But I really get a buzz and I really dig the idea that every single pound I spend on coffee, maybe on the odd seed lip gin, mm. um, or on some lunch, I really dig the idea that 50% of that goes to support the program and my membership goes to support the program rather than goes to grow profit which and, and yeah. I'm not saying profit's bad it money's really great isn't. money's great you can't do you can't know where it goes 
And that, that, that's the key thing. That was, that was why something like this appealed to me so much, because I've done business, I've done corporate, and there are elements of it I adore. I mean, I, the fast-paced resource, go-getters, I, I love it. But I don't like the, I'm going to burn you out. That, 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 was, that was terrible. Then I've also done very serious, very big charities, and then very small organisations as well. And actually, this is a beautiful melding of all the best bits of that. Money is a powerful force for good when used as a force for good. Totally. We aren't there yet. We haven't, we haven't, um, the business pays for itself and it makes profit. That profit yeah. is gifted to the charity. But we are not yet raising enough profit to pay for all the charity. This building's a bit of a money pit. Grade one listed means you can't touch a plug without getting special planning. Yeah. Your paint's special. Um, <laughs> but that's part of the, the magic. We have people who, if you've been, if you've, if you've come from the streets and it's taken 10 years from you leaving the streets to actually feeling like you might be ready to get into work. You've been through a lot of institutions. Yeah. We all know what an institution looks like, an institution feels like it already evokes an, an idea. We are the antithesis of that. The big, grand, beautiful door that's wafted open with a smile, you're welcomed in, you're treated like a guest, because you are. There's a power to that. You are an equal from day one. We, we are not an institution doing to you, we are working with you. You are a guest, come and be a part of it. And, that, and, it, and that's tangible, yeah. right? And, and to serve is a gift. It is a gift, which I, people in this country just don't get it. Oh, no, they don't. Service, no. Is, service is the best thing you can do. It feeds you, forget anything else. Totally. It, it, think about it as a selfish thing. If you can find a way to serve others, you will be so much bigger for it. So tell me how that works with you. What, what, you've had a, you've had a, 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 a career that spans I often find charities been more cutthroat than business. Actually, sorry, charity sector. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is it in Sandra that made that, end, that made you end up here? What is it in? <laughs> how were you? What were you like when you were growing up? What were you like as a kid? Um, my uh, uh, only very recently, I discovered something. You know when something just falls out of your mouth and you're like, oh, oh my god, that's so true. Um, is uh, a friend of mine asked me, what do you do in a major conflict situation? And I said, I love bomb the hell out of it. So um, when something would go wrong, wrong at home, you just, with my dad would be arguing with me about something, just love bomb him until he gives up and you're like, I win, ha ha. Um, and we, we have a phrase in our house. Go on. It's called out nice the fuckers. <laughs> and it's the same thing. Because you feel so much better at it. And what happened was, is for the first 15, 20 years of my career, I didn't do that. And I, it felt, and I became this brittle thing that I wasn't. And it really was when I stepped in here. And within about four months, I just felt this release of, oh, I can actually be me and do a good job. And tell, tell me about the me growing up. Tell me. I want to know what you were like as a little girl. As a little girl, I, my mum laughed that she used to have to keep me on a rain. Where was, where was home, by the way? Oh, home's London, born and bred. So dad Maltese, mum Irish, um, and uh, so Irish Catholics, uh, Maltese Catholics. That was fun. Um, and uh, so a lot of guilt riding on here. Shoulders, shoulders are big. Uh, and I, my mum used to put me in a set of rain, she said, because I would go and talk to you and I would be with anybody. So I would literally wander off, have a chat with people and just, just um, uh, enjoy life. Um, and I, I would always get a gold star for trying, but never academically. I was terrible academically. I just, exams and me don't go. Really? I'm surprised. Oh, and it's a real issue. I have a real issue that um, I've only got 2-1. I've got a real issue that I don't have a PhD. I've got a real issue that my education isn't good. Now, it was a, in a London school, which was perfectly fine. It was a decent old poly, perfectly fine. But, so it's, it's really stuck with me that I can't prove 
academically with letters what? after my name. This isn't a, a comment on you, this is a comment generally. <coughs> Why are we so fucked up about this? Because your t- education's important and there's a value to it. And on, on your CV, you have to put educational qualifications. It's there front and centre. But I don't, if I recruit, I don't necessarily want people with a degree anymore. Those that have, I don't give a shit where it's come from. I'm not interested in what they've done, I'm interested in what they're going to do. You're the vanguard, you and your, your kind, our kind. It's, it's, it's shifting, yeah. um, but still education is, is, I think there needs to be a reframing of what education is actually for, which I think is happening about helping people to think. You're, you're thinking about, you said about making better decisions. I was only having that conversation this morning, we've got a new programme starting, and actually part of the work we do is giving people the space to reflect on how they've made decisions in the past, what those patterns are, and how they might change those patterns. Pure coaching 101. Yeah. That's powerful. If you can help an individual make a better decision, you're helping future them. That, 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 that's what education's supposed to be for, right? Well, I it wasn't think in so. mine. No, it was all about passing exams. Oh and my God, geography. Who needs geography? No, I'm sorry, I'm not going to have this. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop you there. Geography. <coughs> Socio, the blend of socio-economic, physical, geography is beautiful. Geography explains... If it's taught well. Yes, and geography explains why Soho's here. Between Westminster and between the city, you had the hunting grounds. Soho! And exactly that, (laughs) and you had the blue posts, and it became forgotten, it was not owned by either, so it became where you went for sex and where you went for debauchery, Geography explains why London's like it is and why trade happens. If you explain geography like that to kids, they might get it. I was going to say, my teacher never explained like that. I would have been very interested in the textbooks. It's like, I might have actually tried. And the shape of a city, the geomorphology of the city, determines where people settle and where they don't. This is the thing. This is why, we were just talking about it before, weren't we, that podcasts are fascinating because I realised I love learning. I loved learning at school, but by the time I left university, I studied music, I, I, I adored. I left university thinking, if I never see a score or a musical instrument again, it will be too soon. It killed it for me. The, That's so the, sad. Honestly, and only now am I coming back around going, I might listen to a little bit of this, I might get a score out. Actually, I, I used to be able to write, you know, 16-page scores. Now I try and listen to music, I'm like, is that a treble clef? Is that a bass? Oh, it's embarrassing. It's just all gone. Everyone goes, oh, you, of course you should remember. No, it's just gone. So I'm having to re-educate myself because I want to. I haven't wanted to re-educate myself That's for years. That is absolutely fascinating. What did you play? So I um, started with the recorder and the tin whistle, and then I worked my way up to violin, and then I played the cello. I adored the cello. Oh God, I loved it, but I was terrible. I was terrible, but it just, it felt so, it was the right size and the right shape and you feel it on your chest when you play it, it's beautiful. And then I got into singing, so I did opera for a while. And again, it's that same thing as the cello. You feel, you vibrate, you, it's just great. The noise coming out might not be very good, but what you feel when you do it is just so powerful. Um, But I was never good enough. And that realization of you need to be good, you need to practice six hours a day, it's also very lonely. And that was a real realization for me is, I can't do something. I'm not a solitary individual. I'm not. I, I am. I'm happiest in a team, in the middle, leading things happily so. But in that team, in getting something done. So conductor, loved it. Absolutely loved it. 
That's fascinating. Mm. And how do you conduct things here? Because you've got you've got a really lovely. What I love about this place is some of the staff, some of the team, some of the team mm. are, are 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 paid serving waiting staff, and some some of them well they're all paid, and but some of them come through the program. Yeah. Yeah. And then you you employ them and Rory, who yeah. was a, a shining light when I first arrived yeah. here. In fact, when I first arrived here, Rory was scared and unable to do his job. He properly. was angry with Wasn't the world. He? Oh, angry with the world. The world had done him a rough card. And he had, and he had a rough, a rough time in the states, and that. And his story is incredible. Another podcast, I suspect. By the time Rory left, he owned this space. He was yeah. everybody's favourite, and his smile lit the room. But that's, how did you do that? So that, well, we didn't do that. What that is again is the environment that is creating a. Again, it's uncool because people think you're commodifying it, but it's you create a family environment in which someone can feel safe therefore they find themselves but but being a family doesn't mean it's not all hunky-dory it means holding people to account and going that's not cool dude you that's you, that, not on or big that up because that works really well but you have to constantly be sense checking so constant feedback that works for some people it doesn't for others and i don't just mean professional let's sit down and have a professional one-to-one it's the sideways glance the minute someone's done something which is you shouldn't talk like that to someone what are you doing like you would to your brother or your sister um and so that, that's like lo- lots of little light touches to keep people on track uh, which, rather than big corrective actions. Which I failed at in the last 18 months. There's been a couple of times where I've, I've, went tr- I, I've, I've overused trust. I've hidden behind trust. I trust that person's got that. Yeah. I trust that person's got that. And it turns out the person didn't have it. They were floundering. I left them too long. And then it took a huge corrective action, um, which actually wasn't fair on that individual. Um, or then the organisation to have to go through the very professional process of helping that individual correct. So it's that's a stitch in time, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's, and that, and I guess I mean, it's really, it's really interesting because you you created a space that is loved. You created a space that creates. I'm going to use the word better people, but that feels. It allows people to, to be, be their be better their best selves. Then. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. Um, and. I guess the challenge you've got is recruiting two, two things, recruiting the right team to work along those special people yeah. and recruiting the right members because there's a lot of choice in membership yep. clubs and I would only ever, I would always be a member here. I may go plural. We can cope with that. But I would all, I, I haven't, but I would always be a member here. But there are some members that don't feel like they, they look like they get it. How do you manage that? So there's a, so one of the original, so the charity was originally a dual purpose charity. Support those in need. Necessitous circumstances is how it's written in the old um, uh, vellum document. And the second part was to support those who have give to those who don't. So there was there was a two-pronged, and then when the building was bought for us um, and gifted to us, then became a three-pronged charity, then you had to act as a custodian. Who bought that? 
Um, it was Dr. Henry Monroe and Roundo and Palmer um, got £6,000 together and bought the house. Wow. Yeah, in 1860. So we were next door, so in, in what's artist's house. Wow. We were, um, we were there, saw this one up for sale and thought, oh, we'll have that. And gifted it um, to the charity. I know, it's good, isn't it? So we need one more of those, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be lovely. <laughs> Someone else with another house, please. Um, but uh, but it's, that, it's, that, it's that second prong of those who have. So um, time, treasure, talent. You can give one of those three things. You can give all of those three things. But actually, you need to work out what your treasure is. Your treasure might be money. Your treasure might be your networks. Your treasure might be your ability to negotiate. There's, there's, there's lots of things. Um, but we ask members, when they join, to consider on the spectrum of supporting for some people, come, eat, drink, be merry, job done. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's all they want. And, that's, and we're fine with that because, yes, come and spend your money with us rather than someone else. That's brilliant. We hope that we also might then be able to show them a way of, well, if you want to engage, there's also these other ways to engage. Yeah, yeah. And we're doing it, we've, in the first five years, we've gone very slowly. And actually what we're going to do is ramp that up and say, actually, if you're going to be a member here, because we've got a waiting list, it's like, what we want are these three things from you. Not necessarily in support of us, but in support of someone. Give in some way, because we know you'll feel better for doing it. So how can we do that? So we're trying to work out the right level to go in at. So for some people, it will always only be, I'm rich, I want to come spend my money somewhere that it matters, but don't ask me for a donation. Cool, no worries. Up to, I'm going to give you £10,000 a year, I'm going to support your graduation, I'm going to be a mentor, I'm also going to be an employer partner. There's, so we have people like that. Wow. It's great, brilliant. I'm going to introduce you to all of my networks. I'm not rich, but I've got a brilliant network base. Let me help you. It's like, thank you. So it depends on what the individual feels they can offer, but we don't want to be prescriptive. That's amazing. And it is, you know, as someone who lives outside of London, and, but works inside of London two or three days a week, it is genuinely the best money that I spend. Not because I know it's doing good. Yes, obviously that's a good thing. But I was sick of wandering around coffee bars, outstaying my welcome, and uh, and have I, I have I spent my three pounds fifty in Wi-Fi yet? Is that okay? Exactly that. Really? Yeah. Exactly that. I've got <coughs> code for the toilet again. I'm bursting. Um, whereas here, I've got a garden that is my own. Mm. Name another garden in the middle of Soho, other than Soho Square. Mm. You just don't 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 have one. So it's been a it's been an absolute godsend for me. That's one tier. It's an absolute godsend for the people that work here. It's yeah. an absolute godsend for the people who um, come through the programme and, and work here. And then it's an absolute godsend for people who come through the programme and go somewhere else. Yeah. And do you ever map where these people go to? Do you, do you follow them? Oh, yes, 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 yes. <coughs> so we are... There are some funders who believe it is, the, it is the right of the person who has paid to make sure that that individual feeds back to you. We don't believe it's, it's our, our right to make sure you have to feed back to us as part of the programme, but we ask people, look, it helps others if we can understand where you've gone to, what you're struggling with, what works. If you don't talk to us again, that's fine, but just a little postcard about where you are or a drop-in would be brilliant. So we've, we're getting much more longitudinal um, uh, feedback on what works, what doesn't work, what's stuck with them, what hasn't stuck with them, if they've still got friends from the programme, what that's looked like. And um, we have a wide and growing map of industries that people have moved into. 
Um, only about half of them have actually um, moved into their second or third jobs in F&Bs. Most of them have moved into other industries wow. because food and beverage is a great jumping off point for customer service equals confidence because yeah. you have to have a sense of confidence with the Rory thing. Yeah. Going from an angry person, it's like you're not going on the shop floor, my friend, to <laughs> owning the shop floor and everyone flocking going, well, I'll have Rory serving me, please, because Rory makes you feel good. It, it, that, tra- that transformation was that tangible. Yeah. It really was like, oh, he's cross. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of like that. I like angry people because it's, it's, it's an energy to, <coughs> oh my God, he's mastered his trade. And that apprenticeship, that gift that you give, and I know you're an enabler and I know, but you could have done anything, Sandra. And there's enough Velcro in this place to stick you to it. Mm. And that, that's amazing. Where does the house go next? So we are, um, we're in evidencing mode. So we feel it works in our gut. We now want to prove it. Because if we're going to try and increase our impact, you need to ask that brilliant question of what would happen if we weren't here? Would, would they have done it anyway? So actually, is it just 12 weeks without doing anything, the same thing with that same outcome would happen? But also, are we having any unintended consequences? So that's a big piece of work for us. Um, Then there's getting it right. We haven't got it right. Um, uh, Publicly, always the marketing makes it sound brilliant and shiny. And yeah, there's some great stuff happening. But we're getting under the bonnet and fixing all those things um, that as an entrepreneurial startup, you think, I'll get to that manana. It's now manana. Um, So, uh, and then after that, we're looking at what expansion and growth looks like for us. How do we increase our impact? Is it another house, one, two, three? Is it the bees, Bristol, Brighton, Bath, um, Birmingham? Oh, please, not Bristol or Brighton. The market's there though. Listen, it's Birmingham. Birmingham, Manchester. Mm-hmm. Andy Manchester. Burnham, come on. <laughs> it's, it's Sheffield. I hadn't, really? Yeah. Because you, she- need, you need both. You need the metropolitan need for the member and also the need for, the, I know the needs there societally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so but things like this, it's... But don't go to, what I'm trying to say, don't go to the London by the Seas, right? So Brighton, <coughs> London by the <coughs> Sea. Margate now, Bristol, London by the Sea. Yeah. Margate nearly bought there eight years ago, six years ago and didn't. I'm an idiot. And what was I thinking of? Um, <coughs> but, but you need to, you've got to find somewhere between those places that are London by the Sea and those places that haven't, haven't boomed. And my advice to you, Birmingham, Sheffield, um, there, that's where I'd look. If you're in Manchester, mm. that's where I'd look next. Membership isn't the only way you can bring money in. No, so, so, so I, I absolutely stand by the um, money is good. Without money, there is no work. Yeah. So um, for some people who, when we first started this, to my face, I got some people in quite big charity saying, you're getting to bed with the devil, how dare you? You're going to give us a bad name. And I was like, what? what? The I devil being? Uh, as in um, commercial. So, so, so doing things commercially, that's an absolute, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing that. You're a charity. Stick to it. Stick to what you know. You guess which sector I've been treated the worst in. Charity. Yeah. yeah. It's vicious. Yeah. It's vile. It's ego-driven. And it's brilliant. But 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 if you but if you so if you talk about love, if you elevate it again and you're able to look at it like a parent would look at a sector, I I can now remove myself and go, of course the sector, it's no individuals, but the sector's acting like that. 
because it's being attacked publicly. The funding is being cut. People are nervous about their jobs, their mortgages, their families. That's going to have an impact on how you view the world and how you protect yourself. So I can, I can see why as a sector it's got itself caught in a loop which actually isn't a positive, self-fulfilling one. It's actually going to do itself more, more damage. I know good people who could do amazing work who are choosing to actively not stay or go into the charity sector. They're choosing to go and thinking about B Corps. They're talking about how to transform CSR into something which actually is useful in organisations. So this is a this is a really rich vein that I want to dig into a little bit. I'm almost acutely aware we're at 36 minutes, but I don't care. People can, <laughs> people can elongate their journey. It's fine. You didn't want to stop at 30 minutes. This whole idea that the only place you can do good is in the third sector oh, is, is clearly nonsense. broken. And if we look at the way that CSR has changed from you know, a company having someone who looked after nice things to do, sponsored schools because what they did in the rest of their business was not always nice, to the shift towards CSV, creating shared value, yeah. spend every dollar well, every pound, yeah. every euro, every yen yeah. well, every even, dare I say, ruble well, then that shift is the most effective shift. And if you, if you could look at the spend in yep. business as a whole, yeah. And, you know, there is no profit on a dead planet. If, uh, the challenges of attracting the best talent in the world is partially met by having a really good purpose that yep. still makes a profit. Yeah. This is where this is where it's at. And B Corp is, I've watched B Corp grow, and I was a bit suspicious at first. I just thought, oh, it's Another the Emperor's one. New yeah. Exactly that. No, B Corp is changing things. Yes. And I, I lecture at universities all over the world. No, that's wrong. Electric universities all over the UK. Um, and my students do not want a, a job. They want a calling. So one of our members here has just written a brilliant book, Be More Pirate. <coughs> and he has done something which, you know you have those moments on the tube where you actually make a noise and you go, oh, sorry, to the people around you. And I turned over the page and he had Maslow's Pyramid. And he said, um, most of us have grown up with, you worked your way through Maslow's, and now at 43 I'm realising, oh, I'm getting up to the, this is why I'm having this midlife crisis, this is what this is about, the top part of the pyramid, self-actualisation, i.e. know your shit, deal with it. <laughs> That's my catchphrase for that. It's true. But I'm not, I'm not there yet. The, the more you look, the harder it gets, because the more you realise there is, and you're like, oh, can I stop looking now, please? Where's the bottom of the shit, please? Yeah. And what, what he said was, is millennials, um, they flipped... The, 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 the last uh, quadrant of the pyramid all the way through. So they want self-actualization all the way through their lives, not just when they've made the money, got the career, yeah. because they're looking around them going, so the, the things I was aiming for are not possible. Why am I going to bother fighting for that house, that promotion, that I have people leaving my organization because they can't afford to live in London. It's heartbreaking. Well, this is endemic. Right, so yeah. my daughter works um, with a really famous artist who's got an exhibition here, Rob Ryan. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and of course you met Rob when you came mm. to the Do Lectures, and, and Rob has the same challenge, you know, he cannot recruit, he cannot hold on to the best talent because at some point they, they're priced out of London. And we just cannot keep up, even if we try to, the charity would end up closing of because it would. We, we, we cannot keep up um, with, with that, 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 that entry level. Which um, guarantees yeah. you an intake for your bloody programme, doesn't it? So how do we fix the <coughs> problem? Of housing in London? <laughs> not, by, not by moving to London by the sea, I can assure you. Um, 
I think there is a, um, I was talking to someone the other day about um, realising that the, the monolith isn't going to save us, whether that's in the charity or it's the public or it's the private. Actually, it's the community-led, and community doesn't mean, because most, when I thought about community before, I thought, oh, second-rate volunteers, oh, don't, oh, don't they, basket weaving. It's not that. Community building, place building, is a powerful change agent. And actually, if you can, it takes people like the House of St Barnabas going to places like Sheffield and going, it works in London, we've got a brand way beyond what we are achieving. Let's use that brand as a force for good in another area where you help lever that change. And it's a, so if you asked about what we're doing, we're trying to look at where we can use the lever, the longest lever, is probably a better way of putting it, and it's not just in the membership. It is, well, what's the community? How do we leverage the community? What part can we play? Because we help 100 people a year, individuals going through our program. We might increase that by 20 or 30 a year within this building. That's not enough. There's much more you can do. So is it Creative Commons? Here's the program. Go and run it. Off you go. Is it franchising? So there's, there's lots of potential avenues. And that's what the next 18 months is looking at is, what is the next step? And, and you know what? I think your opportunity is bigger than that. I think that some of the content of the program is so sticky, so effective, that it, it's kind of wrong to restrict it to people who are in employment need. I think it needs we to We could be all work. do with some help. Exactly. So <laughs> this is the way I see the future of charities. is not asking for money for nothing or asking for money for guilt. It's asking for money it's and giving chuggers. something. The chuggers are dreadful. But they hate it. You hate it. Exactly. The whole process, it makes no sense. But to give a service, a training, membership of a community in return for money happily paid, that's the future. Yeah. And I can see the house developing a program that you can sell into business that might only generate a hundred pounds a person who goes through it but it makes that business that it's going into better better people make better businesses make better decisions better businesses make a better planet yeah. and i, I love i've loved this con we could do we're going to do a second <laughs> version of this we are because i love it i love talking to you and i love what you do but we've we've redefined two words or you have the first one was charity and I really dig that whole it's actually not about charity it's about love and you've redefined community and where people fall on hard times is where they fall out of both of those two yeah. things and what you've demonstrated what you're demonstrating with the work that the house does is that love isn't sloppy and charity isn't second rate yeah. Sandra, what you do is beautiful. Thank you, Mark. No, thank, thank you. Thank you for being a supporter. No, no, I wouldn't give my money anywhere else. <laughs> thank you so much. So how was that? I, I thoroughly enjoyed recording that one. Um, but I'm really keen to, to know what you think, if you, if you enjoyed it. Um, where would you like this series to go? It's always good to, to get feedback. If you've got any comments, then um, send them through to me on, on email or... I think you can actually comment after the podcast, but I'm really rubbish at checking those things. I will try try harder. But um, mark at thisisape.co.uk is probably the best way to, to, to get me a message. Um, and if you're in London and you fancy a cup of tea, let me know and I'll meet you at the House of St Barnabas. If you're in the Midlands, let me know and I'll meet you at the House of Mark. 
and family. So um, yeah, hopefully you got something out of it. And I, and I think that the, the overriding thing for me is I could have joined any any club, and there's some brilliant clubs in London, and and I just felt I needed to do more with my money. It needed to work a bit harder in terms of the, the positive impact. And so I, I chose I chose that one, but um, it is a godsend in, in terms of the way that I work. I, I maybe don't use it enough in the evenings, and I guess there's a whole social side. I guess at six thirty when I I slope off to get my train home, there's a whole kind of crew coming in that that don't look or sound like me, and that's really good. That that kind of variability, that breadth, that diversity is what will keep clubs like that alive and it needs to reflect where it is which is soho which is still i know i know it's all really cool out east in london but it just doesn't feel right to me old street just doesn't feel it feels like a transient space soho feels like a a dynamic but also static space it feels like like you're, you're meant to hang around there not travel through there um, I think it's a bit different if you go slightly further east towards Shoreditch and Hoxton. They're, 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 they return to that kind of, kind of hanging around feeling. But um, yeah, I love Soho. I love its history. I wish it was a bit earthier. I wish it was still a little bit sort of like dirtier in, in many ways. Um, a little bit gentrified in, in coffee bars. But that's, that's London. That's many cities. Um, there's just enough edge to keep it exciting at the moment. So yeah, uh, drop me a line if you want to you meet up. I'm always happy to have a cup of tea um, and a chat. All right, hope you're well. If you um, have any ideas for podcasts, let me know. Um, we've got maybe five more lined up, six more lined up at the moment, um, but always make space for, for great ideas. All right, thanks, bye.